What's up, y'all, and welcome to Black and Intellectualish, a podcast about race, education, culture, and whatever else comes up. I'm your boy, MP. And I'm teaching. All righty, so this is episode 14. Yes, Capals in French, randomly. Good, I'm glad you have something, because <laughs> I, I don't know what that is in Spanish, and I didn't have any type of quip or pun or anything. We had, like, Lucky 13 and all that, but I don't have anything. So, um, but episode 14, it's good to um, be back at it. And I know we have a lot to talk about today, specifically related to politics and the election. Yeah. So we are under a month away from the election. Kind Ooh. of scary. Yes. I have already voted, y'all. <laughs> I have not voted, but it's because I cannot vote. <laughs> say that. So I am depending on you all to vote. So go ahead and vote. That's actually, a, we won't have that conversation today, but that's actually an important conversation. Like there are mm-hmm. so many people in this country who depend on Americans yeah, to vote to protect them. And, yeah. you know, international students is one group that is vulnerable to the whims of the president. And we saw that earlier this year where Trump was yeah. essentially just like, yo, don't come back. Yeah. Uh, and there were a lot of students who who don't get an opportunity to vote and yeah. say, that's not who I want to be my president or the president of the country that I study in. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so although I cannot vote, I definitely still try to pay attention to what's going on politically. So last week, I believe it was last week, it seems like the time is fast and slow right now in 2020, (laughs) but Kamala and Vice President Pence had their vice presidential debate. And we just want to talk a little bit about some of the things that came up. Um, I did watch the entire thing. It was definitely better than the presidential debate. (laughs) It was actually a debate rather than, I don't even know what you could call what happened with the presidential debate. I have no idea what that was. (laughs) (laughs) Where like they definitely talked out of turn and cut each other off. This was definitely more of what you would expect from a political debate. The main thing that really stood out for me was Kamala really, you know, trying to present herself in a way that I feel like was palatable to the American people. So Mm -hmm. as a Black woman, I think for me, I really resonated with her laughing at times that were uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So a lot of tweets were about the fact that like, as a Black woman, even though she was being cut off, she wasn't given the same amount of time as Vice President Pence, that it was like, she had to put on this kind of image of being really lighthearted and Mm -hmm. laughing. And one of the big quotes that came out of this whole debate was when she said, like, I'm speaking several times to Vice President Pence because he would continuously cut her off. Um, So, like, that really just to me reminded me of moments where as a Black woman, like, I feel like I have to, like, laugh or kind of, like, play off so that I don't come off super, like, serious. And then people will say, like, oh, why don't you smile? You're so aggressive. You're so X, Y, Z. And so on full display, you could really just see her really trying to be this person where she had to appear really like friendly and happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's an interesting point because what I was noticing when I was looking at clips of the debate was essentially what you're saying. She didn't overreact Mm -hmm. or sometimes even react to being cut off to not having as much time to say what she really wanted to say or get her thoughts out. And I was thinking about my experience in my family, right? So this like black family, I have a lot of family in East St. Louis. And when we get together, it's like loud and rambunctious and you have to essentially fight to talk, (laughs) right? So there's no like, there's no like, oh, I'm going to let him finish that story. It's like, well, my story is actually better than his story. (laughs) So so I'm going to cut him off. And it is very much uh, this, this thing that I grew up with and it was natural to me. But when I got married and my wife was around my family, It was really funny because we would cut her off and start telling our stories <laughs> and she was getting very upset by it and she would get down about it. And I remember telling her one day, hey, like you just got to like find, find your place, <laughs> find your place. If you're telling the story, just keep telling it. And if it's better than our story, we'll shut up and listen to it. Right. And I know. But my point in saying that is that like a lot of black women may grow up in environments where that's the norm. But mm, if you were to do that in public, people would say you were aggressive or that you were a bitch or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so yeah. there's this there's this like way of being this code switching that has oh, to happen. Yeah, definitely. And what was the the other really interesting thing was that on Fox News, 
and, and some other outlets, they actually ate her alive for some of the facial expressions that she was making. And it was like, man, even when she's doing everything that she can to seem it's palatable, still it's still a problem. Yeah. And that, like, the facial expressions is one thing. I think there were wonderful facial expressions. That, yeah, because... that, that's the, that made the debate. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, the fly, like, we have to talk about the fly <laughs> that was on Pence's head. Yeah. It was funny on Twitter, like, at that moment, a lot of people were like, I thought I had a fly on my TV. They were like, I'm slapping my TV. And I'm just like, where does this fly appear out of nowhere and just sit on this man's head? I'm like, yeah. it was poetic yeah. to see this fly. And everyone's like, it's because he's talking shit. Like, <laughs> you just know that that was just like, you know, our way of just being like affirmed in our thinking about and Trump, but yeah. that's my personal opinion, at least. Well, and I think, you know, honestly, the fly was like the star of yes. the debate, which sadly <laughs> shows you that even though this was the closest thing we had to a debate, that this is such a weird election year yeah. where, like, I don't think most voters, and this is my personal opinion, but I don't think that most voters need a debate to know who they're going to yeah. vote for. And so it is very much a performative thing. Yeah. How well can you perform to your base? Yeah. And for those who are undecided, how many words can you get out of your mouth yeah. that might convince them? Um, which I'm surprised that people are undecided, but according to the polls, there are some people who are. Yeah, because I feel like that's a great point that you brought up about like how much does a debate help? people to make a decision and I feel like in a typical year maybe it does more than it did at least these last two debates that we saw you know there was a really long conversation that Pence was putting forth about fracking I mm -hmm. won't try to pretend and understand completely the importance of fracking no. <laughs> but like you know a lot of people just writing in this year where we've seen like a global pandemic where we've seen black lives being brutalized in their home on mm -hmm. the street by police officers and to just you know see the emphasis on fracking people are just like just this idea the the fact that like the real issues aren't really being debated in any substantial way right. so like how do people really like make decisions based on this debate is not really it doesn't really help people so i definitely hear you and i really think it was just like performances and entertainment yeah. unfortunately <laughs> yeah this unfortunately. time around unfortunately So thinking about politics even more, I've often wondered as a Canadian, kind of as an outsider looking in, what choices do Black people really have in terms of voting? Yeah. Obviously, this is a bipartisan country where it's either Democrats or Republicans, you know, it's one or the other. And I, as a Black person living here now, I've just been like, okay, well, like, if I had to vote, I would just vote for Democrats because they mm -hmm. seem like the only party to really care about Black people. But... In reality, like, I don't really know a, that much about their politics that make them center Black people mm -hmm. in any real substantial way. So that's just a question that, like, I put out there, MP. Like, when you think about voting, you don't necessarily have to say what you think, but just, like, <laughs> for Black people in general, as Black Americans, really, like, the choices seem like Democrat or, like, Black rich people vote Republican. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, so I mean, it's really complex. Mm -hmm. I think for the most part, Black America has latched on to the Democrats simply because that is the party that understands the need for social programs. Okay. That party doesn't always get it right. Some people would say they often get it wrong. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that they do are pandering. I don't know if you saw it, but like Biden's commercial with the battle rappers is the most offensive thing that I've seen. I've not yet seen this. <laughs> so, I will definitely take a look. It, that, that it shouldn't <laughs> exist. Don't don't even look for it. But I just know that it's offensive. So like there are, there are times where I look at the Democratic Party and I'm not terribly excited to be somebody who who says, "Hey, this is the party that I'm registered yeah. for." And I, I'll I'll come out and just say that that's the party that I'm registered for. That's who I vote with. The the challenge is like you mentioned, we are a bipartisan country, so you have other parties that exist. But if black people were to, in any substantial way, stop voting for the Democratic Party, all we would be doing is giving every single election to the Republicans. Yeah. If we vote for anybody else, we're diffusing the vote. And no one, no other party really has our best interests in mind. And yeah. so I think that's what is very, very difficult about the situation. With Republicans, 
specifically, they have latched on to this idea of family values. And I read a really interesting book called The Immoral Majority. And it, it really does speak to this idea of like a lot of the Christian values the Republican Party claims to align with are actually fake. I mean, it's actually pandering to Christians, right? Yeah. But because a lot of Christians will vote for the Republican Party because of those family values, because of their stances on abortion, particularly, and also because they believe in small government, they believe in yeah. um, making things better for people who already have money. And yeah. so there are a lot of ways in which black folks who do look at the Republican Party, they, they look at it and go, that's just not that's not going to do me any good, yeah. right? Like you want to take away social programs. And I know that I have family who need social programs, even if I don't need them myself. And that's, it makes it really, really tough to feel like, Hey, we don't have anybody that looks out for our best interests. Yeah. So, and, and I know Diddy at one point earlier this year got in some hot water because he even said, Hey, we're not giving away the black vote this yeah. year, right? And and you're going to have to earn it. And everybody was like, no, 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 buddy. We're absolutely giving the black vote away right to Vice President Biden because yeah. we got to get this maniac out of the White House. And he's even retracted that statement recently and aligned himself with a group that I love. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're called Our Black Party. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're, they're not necessarily a political party in the traditional sense, but they're a group that is trying to evaluate and align themselves with with policies that are the best thing for the black community and diddy has gotten behind them but you know when it comes to choices i guess i haven't i guess i'm saying a lot about nothing but when i when i think about choices for black folks i'm like if you care about black people what are your real choices right because you you know that we have systemic racism in america and that we need social programs in order to help redress some of those things. Because one of the things that really surprised me, like listening to one of my other fave podcasts, Ear Hustle, and learning about the fact that President Clinton was the one who came up with the three strikes mm-hmm. for felonies mm-hmm. and like going to jail for life. Hearing these stories of men who were in jail who literally, like there was this guy, he did go into a store and commit a crime. He like stole $25. Yeah. But because of the fact that is going into a store, that's robbery. This man is in jail for life. And just like this idea that like that whole over incarceration of black people is contributed by like a Democrat president like blew Mm -hmm. my mind because I know there's that joke. The first black president is Bill Clinton. But then when you look at his policies, he didn't really do much for black people. So it is interesting. Like it kind of appears to be like the lesser of two evils. And it's like, I guess one of the questions really is like, how do black people hold elected officials accountable once in office to really then still support them when they know that they're going to get their vote. And especially like Democrats, it's kind of like they don't really have to do much. They kind of just get the vote. Well, for for Biden, in his defense, like he talked a lot about the some of those policies that actually led to the over incarceration of black folks. And he said, you know, at the federal government level, the way those policies were written and constructed, they actually would have been good for black people, but the way states implemented them okay. made them harmful to black folks. I can't verify that. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just at least what we his a, po- a political scientist. <laughs> I know <laughs> that's, it. that's his analysis of it. And I guess that's, that's fine. But the other thing that I will say about this, and we can kind of fold this into the, the next conversation too is that there is a such thing as a black Republican. Yes. And it's not the Jay-Z and Nas <laughs> um, black Republican song, which is a great song, by the way. But there is a such thing as a black Republican. And black folks choose the Republican Party for a variety of reasons. Like yeah, I mentioned, yeah. black people are some of the most religious people yes. in this country in terms of going to church. And so because of their values related to things like abortion and other things, they choose to align with a party that pushes policies like that. But the other thing that I've noticed is folks like Candace Owens and Senator Tim Scott and some of these other black politicians, what they actually are purporting and saying to black folks is the Democratic Party has you hypnotized. Okay. And you are not being oppressed systemically by this country. But if you believe that you are being oppressed systemically by this country, then you have to vote Democrat. But if you would vote for us, we will give you opportunity so that you can lift yourself out of oppression. Right. So it's this idea that like you shouldn't believe in this systemic racism stuff because it's not real. 
but come over here. We're going to lower these taxes and you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to lift yourself out of poverty and racism will be over because, you know, honestly, who's left out there really who's being actively racist is really classed as the issue. And really the real issue is that you don't have, you need to be an entrepreneur. You need to have jobs and, and things of that nature. And granted, being an entrepreneur is fine. Having a job is great uh, and necessary. However, ignoring the systemic issues that still yeah. exist around race in America is idiotic, right? Yeah. Like we know for a fact, and I said this on Twitter the other day, you cannot purchase your way out of anti-black racism. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so, but but that is what those black Republicans would often believe in and say is that like they are more woke than the people who think they're woke. Right. So they're saying we actually understand we're not being oppressed. The veil has been lifted from our eyes and the new slavery is a belief in systemic oppression. That's what Candace Owens says, literally. Oh, gosh. Candace Owens, like a lot to say about her. This is maybe like a random thing that I was fascinated by. But like her, the incident when she was 17 and she received like racist death threats yeah and then her family ends up suing and she's getting money right and now like she got money because she received racist death threats and now she's a person who says she does not believe in systemic racism but yeah. yet she benefited through financial compensation by receiving racist death threats and i was like okay so my, how, my how there's a lot sense? of theories on why <laughs> she's like the way she is okay one of them is that she's just lying and doing this for money, which is what oh, most people possible. most yeah. people just tend to believe that she's doing this because this is a way to carve out a space for herself in the world. The other is that perhaps she really believes these things. And that in the other is that somehow she's gotten famous, but that maybe she's closer to a Kanye West type of figure who says kind of ridiculous stuff and we can't really ever tell what's going on with her. I don't I doubt that she's as esoteric and unknowable as Kanye West is. Yeah. I really do think that she's doing it for money. However, I don't know and I I mean I'm not going to say I don't care, but I would prefer to never talk to her. So I'm never going to find out cuz I will never if she ever hears this podcast and tweets me, I will never talk to her. I think one of the sad things is like Truthfully, I do want to be able to be with people and to have friends that have different political views than me. I mm. think what happens in America, in my experience, is that it's so polarizing, particularly right now, mm -hmm. that like the views are so extreme. Like somebody saying like they don't believe in, in, in institutional racism it's a problem. at all. Yeah, I can't do it. And there's somebody who's like, yes, I acknowledge it. And even I would say like. Joe's perspective on racism is still very surface level, yeah, yeah, but at yeah. least he acknowledges it. So I think it's hard when you then have people, whether it be personally or professionally, that side with Trump because the views are so extreme, where like in a real world, I'd want to have friends who are conservative and some who are liberal right. because I don't necessarily want everyone to think like me. But I think the troubling thing is like now you look at somebody like Bush and you're like, I would take Bush any day. Like I would vote for Bush tomorrow yeah. if I could yeah. to not have Trump in the White House because his executive order on critical race theory, which we haven't even I don't think really talked about yet, yeah. just shows this idea of like to bring up racism to him is to be anti-American. Right. And to me, like that is spits in the face of this year in particular, yeah. where like so many people, I think eyes were awakened to systemic racism mm -hmm. and to see it in such a like public display, whether it be with George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. And so now like to have such a polarizing figure who's like, oh, to even say the term racism or say American racism mm. is problematic if you're a federal entity that trains people. Yeah. And it's like, I think that's what's hard because I'm like, truthfully, I would actually think that I benefit from having people with different views in my life. Yeah. But it's like, if I think of Candace Owens, I'm like, I don't want her in my life because it's just no. so extreme <laughs> yeah. of a view that it's like you are like denying like real facts in my mind. I'm like, yeah. you live in an alternate universe. Well, and I think it's also like you're not only just denying the existence of racism, right? But when you start to deny the existence of systemic racism, then you start to deny parts of me. And yeah. you start to deny pieces of my family, not because mm -hmm. I have an identity in racism, but because my experiences experience, with yeah. racism yeah. are very real. Yeah. And so when you when you do that, it's almost like, okay, if I believe you, then I have to believe that some of my family is poor 
and that it's their fault that they're poor. Yeah. Instead of understanding the systems that came into play that pushed them into poverty, right? Yeah. And again, not to say that personal responsibility is not a thing, but if you attribute all failing to personal responsibility, then you don't have to ever account for the system. I also think it's really interesting, and we, we will have to come back to the critical race theory thing. I just haven't even known what to say about it because I didn't, it's, it's been lot. so ridiculous. But like, critical race theory is not all the race theories. Yes. So you could literally have a training and just base it in literally any other theory of race. Yeah. And it wouldn't be yeah. against the rules. Like, I'm not real sure how that works. But then I feel like he's also, like, tried to, like, now use, like, keywords that are problematic. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't think you could use, like, white supremacy. Maybe this is, no. like, the next episode we can, like, specifically look at the executive yeah, we'll order. Yeah, we have to do that. But I feel like it definitely is, like, yes, critical race theory, I think, is, like, the big one that he's explicitly targeted. But it's also, like, it's, like, you can't say, like, America has... Yeah. And this is having, like, a real-world impact. Because there, yeah. are, there are centers in at universities that have had to close their doors or stop doing trainings and lay off staff because yeah. of this. So we'll have to come back to that for sure. Yeah. But one of the things that I saw this week <laughs> has been around Ice Cube. And for those of you who don't know... Not a literal Ice Cube. No, not a literal Ice Cube. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Ice Cube is an American rapper from the American hip-hop group N.W.A. And if you are... O'Shea Jackson. O'Shea Jackson, that's right. (laughs) And if you don't know what N.W.A. stands for, then you're not allowed to say it anyway, so I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Uh, Because if you don't know who Ice Cube is and you don't know what N.W.A. is, you clearly shouldn't be saying what the acronym means. But he apparently had a plan that he called the Platinum Plan, which really laid out some policies for Black America. And what he said was that he reached out to Biden and Harris, as well as Trump and Pence, with his plan and offered to work with them on uh, implementing it and making it a part of their strategy. Yeah. So uh, apparently Biden and Harris responded and said, hey, we will get to this, but we want to do it after the election. Okay. Trump and Pence said, we'll do it now. However, what ended up happening was that somebody in Trump's campaign actually tweeted thanking <laughs> Ice Cube for working with them on this um, platinum plan. Gotta love they that. plastered it all over Trump's website and just call- and say, you know, you're a leader and, you know, haters going to hate, but you're a leader and this is an amazing, right? So black Twitter and black America probably more broadly lost it. (laughs) And I mean, to the extent that like some pretty prominent scholars who we've talked about on this podcast before, I won't call their names because I don't know if they want to delete their tweets later. (laughs) But like they have they have tweeted saying F Ice Cube or I can't believe I can't believe we went from NWA to MAGA, like literally like just disavowing anything to do with NWA Ice Cube and just saying he's a coon. Right. My issue is that I don't personally think Ice Cube did anything wrong. I think Ice Cube's, maybe his mistake was his timing. Yeah. Because if this plan had been rolled out in 2017, it would have been like, look, y'all, we got to deal with this crazy guy for the next few years. Let's get a plan going for Black America. Yeah. If he had done this last year, we would have said... We still got another year with this guy. Yeah. We should probably get a, get together a plan for Black America. Yeah. But you do it during an election year, and the rollout is in October, less like than a month yeah. before the election. Weeks. And then you let them use this as a way of insinuating that they support Black America and that this prominent hip-hop figure who is, like, at the upper echelon of people we think about in terms of, I mean, he's he makes movies, he's made a lot of hip-hop, like... Ice Cube is an icon. Yeah, yeah. So when they come out and say Ice Cube supports us, that's a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. So Ice Cube come out and say, oh, I didn't endorse anybody. It's like, bro, 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 you endorsed them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so just based on the timing, you endorse them. And yeah. now, and that's the optics to anybody who's not going to follow all the follow-up tweets and, and all the explanations. Yeah. And so he, as MP mentioned, definitely is known for, like, talking about, like, the police and government, right. like, one of his albums is called America's Most Wanted, and it has triple K's in it. Yeah. So like, and the, the first song that most people know from NWA is "F the Police," yes. and in 2018, I think he had a song called "Arrest the President," talking about Trump. Yeah. So like, it was very weird to a lot of people. It was very much like this cognitive dissonance of like, how is this person who said "F the Police" 
And if and if Donald Trump arrests him, how is this now, person now putting together policy for Black America? Yeah, so like with Trump, he's gonna be on Cuomo. Um, but he just tweeted 13 minutes from when we're recording. He says we booked on Cuomo prime time tonight. This truth will set you free. So I guess he's gonna try to explain himself. As you said, MP, like we talked about this earlier. Had this been at the beginning of Trump's first tenure in office, those four years? At the beginning, and if it was something like, how can you work with Black Americans? Because he's going to be president for mm-hmm. four years. Like, there's nothing any of us can do about that. Then that makes sense. But the timing is really wrong. And yeah. I don't know, like, maybe he unfortunately reached out to the parties fairly late. And, you know, Joe Biden was not interested. Like, Joe Biden, I know Simone Saunders, who was a like political commentary, but also worked on the... Bernie Sanders' campaign is now one of his main lead people for the Black section, I guess, of his <laughs> campaign. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if maybe it was like he felt like he had something already. So who knows? And maybe that will come out um, as Ice Cube speaks more. But of course, like the optics of someone from Trump's party saying, OK, thank you, Ice Cube, mm-hmm. is going to be like people are going to have a visceral reaction to that because it's almost like, oh, no, like, are you another Kanye? Yeah. You know, people are going to well, just be surprised. And, and the, the thing is, is that like, that's cute that you're going to be on the news <laughs> doing more of the rollout for this plan that you worked on with Trump. Oh, so if gosh. you really don't. I hope su- not. No, but I'm saying if you really don't support yeah. him, stop talking about this. Yeah, like, true. it's a plan that is developed. You worked on it now. Shut up. If you would just shut up, yeah. we could then wait to see who wins. And if Trump wins, we will absolutely try to get behind the pieces of this plan that we agree with Fair. and make make some good things happen with black America. Fair. But what you're doing now is essentially going out and doing a rollout for Trump saying, hey, I worked on this plan with Trump. I don't really support Trump, but I think it's important to work with Trump and essentially getting people to think about what Trump's plan looks like and what we haven't heard about in the news is Biden and Harris's plan, which I had to Google to see if it existed yeah. because I was very much so like, where, why, like, it where is Biden? Catchy plan? name, at least. Like, <laughs> we kind of talked about platinum. I mean, we. I'm both, offended. First, yeah, of all. <laughs> I know it's a little cringy because it's like, why, why does it have to do with money? Like, yeah. it seems a little, I don't know, hip hop, like trying to pull in like. Hip-hop type of... I I don't know. It's weird. So, I will say this. Like, I really wish that even if Ice Cube thought that was cool. So, I have a hard time thinking he did. But even if Ice Cube thought that was cool, I really wish that the white people that he was working with had said, hey, look, this is going to look crazy if we do this. And it's going to look like like we're pandering. I don't trust the black people that are around Trump to think that the platinum plan is a bad idea because they think they know their demographic. And I don't even think they would realize that they were offending their demographic. They just think they know, like, hey, these Negroes like the idea of platinum and gold, and and they'll love this, the platinum plan. The Hennessy plan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not editing any of this out. This is all it. <laughs> well, I, I did not know this, so I stand corrected. It does have a name. So Biden and Harris's plan is called the Lift Every Voice, the Biden plan for Black America, which if you don't know, Lift Every Voice is the name of the Negro National Anthem. So I, you know, I could kind of take it like that's that's a lot better than like, I'm like platinum. Like, you got to explain it to me because the only place your explanation is is offensive. though. (laughs) Whatever you say to explain that is. Yeah. We wanted to dig into these plans a little bit. Yeah. And so specifically, I wanted to look at the the plans for education because we're both educators. And so I think, you know, if we're not going to talk about the fullness of both of these plans, <laughs> y'all are more than welcome to Google these. Yes. You can Google search the Platinum Plan. This is a two-page document. But the education section of Trump and Pence's Platinum Plan says the following. Education African-Americans can choose federal, state, and local community partnerships to close failing schools, to replace with full school choice and education opportunity to put American parents back in control over their children's futures. That's bullet point number one. Bullet point number two is to increase child care tax credits and provide greater access to quality preschool. So, Honestly, T, like, I'm going to keep reading because they have a little bit more. But, like, when I hear 
some of what they are saying, even in that section, it really reeks to me of racism because I'm trying to figure out how you automatically went to failing schools. Like you just yeah, jumped yeah. from like, hey, this is the plan for black Americans. And so concerned. all of y'all are in failing schools and let's talk about what we're going to do for failing schools. We also know that like school choice is not something politically that that I think either of us really align with. I think for me, what I realize is that school choice often just takes money away from schools that really, really need it. Yeah. Uh, and then you end up closing certain schools and moving children to schools where they may end up being uh, more marginalized than they were in public schooling. I think we need to invest in public schooling, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, and one and one like partner that's really missing from this is educators. So there's nothing about like teacher training, education. As a teacher educator, that is something that's glaringly missing from this for me. Yeah. Um, there's nothing about like, you know, so there's school choice available, but we know that a lot of, you know, the problems is that in certain areas we have really high teacher turnover mm -hmm. because of what whatever reason, whether it's pay, whether it's classroom size, whether it's resources. So there's nothing here that is really addressing pre-existing problems, I guess you can say. Right. It's really like, let's root them somewhere else, but you're right. not really addressing schools as they currently are. Yeah. And that we saw, or I saw recently a report that was done by the U.S. Department of Education in 2016 that was really talking about a lot of teacher educators and teachers being predominantly white, right? And yeah. so a good Part of this plan could have even been diversifying the teacher pool and teacher educator pool in the United States and also investing in and in raising the teacher pay. Right. Yeah, but yeah. instead, you're talking about closing failing schools and insinuating that that's that's all that black that's people, all black people need. About. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing is education African-Americans can afford. So that's the other section. It says continue to protect the vital role of historically black colleges and universities. That's bullet point number one. Spur innovation ecosystems by connecting minority institutions with the federal government's broad range of scientific and engineering research and development. Increase the amount of Pell Grants and allow for vocational employment and second change homecomers. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. So Pell Grant scholars can, can laugh at us, but I don't know. And then advanced targeted apprenticeship and job training programs. So... I mean, there's nothing like glaringly offensive necessarily about that to me. But however, what I do notice is that there's nothing specific. Yeah, so when we talk general. about Biden's plan, for example, he also mentions HBCUs and I'll, I'll let you kind of chat about that. But he also mentions HBCUs. But Trump is very much just like protect their vital role. Like how? What what yeah. money is going into that? What resources are going into that? And then I think advancing targeted apprenticeship and job training programs that's that's wonderful and it's great and i think vocational training is important yeah however i also know that like students who go into traditional higher education also need investment in them yes. and higher education right now is in a space where there are certain students in certain types of majors and in programs that are absolutely getting the training they need to succeed in the workforce and then there are other students who are in other types of programs and majors who are not. And so I would have definitely liked to see some investment in the careers of students who are pursuing liberal arts, for example, and things of that nature. And, and particularly, yeah, like all black students don't go to HBCU. So yeah. what, what plans do you have to, to protect and advance the position of black folks at predominantly white institutions? Yeah, because even if you just look at the headings, like education African-Americans can choose and education African-Americans can afford. So, like, his real targets are just, like, choice for failing school to some and then, like, affording HBCU education, which is a great education. Yeah. But a lot of Black people also attend predominantly white institutions. Right. And that is usually a space where, as you said, MP, students need to be supported because the numbers in some institutions mm. are really decreasing for minority people so how do we then support them to be retained or to continue within these systems that you know the numbers are really dropping so yeah it's 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 very interesting the focus on hbcus and minority institutions specifically mm -hmm. and nothing about like other institutions and 
It's just the language is very interesting and very general. Yeah, you're, I mean, essentially invisible if you attend a predominantly white institution that is not designated as a minority serving institution, yes. right? So there are some predominantly white institutions that because of the percentage of Latinx or, or indigenous folks, I believe, that are in their institution, they yes. can be designated as minority serving. But, you, you know, for the most part, if you're black and you go to a predominantly white institution, you're invisible to both of these plans for black Americans, but specifically to Trump's. Yeah. So moving on to Biden and Harris's plan, I will say that from the document that we're looking at the Web page, mm-hmm. um, this is highlights of their plan. Um, so I just tested it that if you click on the um, main heading that we'll read from, there Mm -hmm. actually is a page that pulls up more information. So this is kind of like a summary. So for example, to begin, there's a heading that says invest in our students and educators. And if you actually click on it, there's a video and there's several bullet points and there's a like, it's literally like three pages of things on that. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to read the first paragraph and we'll talk about it and then the second one. But as I said, there's, there is a lot more detail, at least that we have access to here just by looking at Biden and Harris's plan. Yeah. Trump's Trump's plan is a two page PDF. Yeah. With no links. Yeah. And I, and even if I'm wrong, I'm not going to look for the rest <laughs> of this platinum plan because I'm still offended by the name. So yeah. So turning to the lift every voice plan, invest in our students and educators. Joe will triple Title One funding, which goes to schools with a high percentage of low income students. These funds must first be used to ensure teachers are paid competitively. Three and four year olds have access to preschool and districts offer rigorous coursework at all their schools. Joe will double the number of mental health professionals in schools, build the best, most innovative schools in the country in black communities, other communities of color and low income communities and expand the community school model. He will fund improvements to our public school buildings so they are free from environmental contaminants and equipped with the newest technology. And he will invest in innovative approaches to recruiting teachers of color and reinstate the Obama-Biden actions to diversify schools. So, I mean, I am obviously biased. So I, you know, will first maybe start with the things that really like appeal to me and then maybe some areas that like, you know, I'm like, "Mm." but as noted, which was missing from the Trump Penn plan, and you see it right here, is like, there's focus on community schools. Yeah. So, you know, how do we make community schools better? We have more mental health professionals. We are trying to pay teachers competitively. Right. Um, having more rigorous schoolwork. So one of the things that some of you may be aware of and may not is a lot of schools in communities, Black communities in particular, do not offer like AP advanced placement courses, which puts a lot of black students at disadvantage when they're competing for college spots. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I believe that that's speaking to, which is offering more courses that offer that. And then also the fact that there's explicit language talking about teachers of color appeals to me. Mm -hmm. Um, He does start, it does start with title one funding, which is kind of similar like to Trump's language about starting with failing schools. So Mm -hmm. there is this Emphasis on Title I schools, which are in predominantly black and brown neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, but there is more of an emphasis on community schools, which I think is great. But he does, of course, focus on these low income schools in particular. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, it's important to understand that I, I don't ever want to not acknowledge that what we consider to be failing schools exist predominantly in black and brown yeah. neighborhoods. However, I think what is often not talked about is how that happened and what structures can change to make that not be the case. Because yeah. what often happens is that we just blame the schools and blame the, the teachers or blame the um, kids. And then we close the school yeah. and shuffle everything around and then hope that it gets better. Hope that you diffuse these failing students into enough passing schools to make everything look as if it's going well, when in reality, those same kids are failing through the school system, yeah. right? And so it, it, is a, it is an interesting perspective to look at it from, from this idea of like, hey, let's actually invest in these schools yeah. versus like, let's just close them down and diffuse the problem. Because it's like, if you are saying like, we're just going to close these schools, you still have a bunch of failing students and those students are just now diffused across a bunch of other schools and those schools are not serving those people. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to the next like, and final paragraph of the education section in this plan, 
is support education beyond high school. Mm -hmm. So Joe will provide two years of community college or other high quality training programs without debt for any hardworking individual. He will help tackle barriers such as childcare and transportation costs that prevent students from completing their community college degree or training credential. He will also make a $50 billion investment in workforce training. And he will create a Title I for post-secondary education to help students at under-resourced four-year schools complete their degrees. Joe will rectify the funding disparities faced by HBCUs and other minority-serving institutions by investing over $70 billion in them to lower students' costs, establish research centers, strengthen graduate programs, build high-tech labs, and more. So definitely, like, I will truthfully say there's similarities, at mm -hmm. least with this end part in Trump's plan and Biden's plan with HBCUs. But here we have a lot more detail, yeah. like how much money is going to be invested? What is it going for? Establish research centers to strengthen graduate programs, build high tech labs. So you actually know, like, what exactly is going to be supported by HBCUs. Yeah. Additionally, I see the connection between, like, supporting vocational training as mm -hmm. well as college degrees. So that is something that Trump did mention. But again, there's specificity here where it's talking about the amount of money that's going to be going specifically into these programs. I think it's really interesting, this Title I for post-secondary education, yeah. Yeah. you know, support for students who come from a Title I school and are now in a four-year institution like ours and how do they get supported through that. So I think that that's really interesting to me. I was talking to MP about this language, like training programs um, for without debt for students who are hardworking. I'm like, I don't really know what that means when you're like 17 or 16 going well, the, to the unsaid, <laughs> college. The, the unsaid <laughs> thing here is, and see, this is where like when people ask me like, well, why aren't you excited about Biden? Right. Is because there is like the racism is still there. Yeah. But it's way more hidden and mm -hmm. harder to un uncover. This is one of those spaces where you're insinuating that there are some lazy black people. Yeah. And they're not going to get this funding. But if you're hardworking, you will. Right. And so instead of just saying we're going to trust that if we change the structures and systems and set it up for people to succeed, that they will. You are like trying to signal yes. to to somebody Right, that you're doing this for black people, but it's the good black. People. Yeah, you're not going to give it to just anyone. <laughs> right, it's the just good the black. good blacks. And, yeah, and, but that's what I point. the other thing I do really like about this though is that you know community colleges are vital to our country. Yeah, and it's where a lot of our students, a lot of students start and then transition yeah. to other four year institutions. And for some, they go to a community college and get the education they need and and have wonderful careers with their community college yes. degree. And there are now a lot of community colleges that actually offer four-year degrees. Yeah. So for me, seeing that specifically called out yeah. and saying these colleges, in the same way that he's talking about community schools, he's talking about, hey, you want to go to school close to home? I want to make sure that those schools are well-resourced and that mm -hmm. those schools um, have high-quality training within them. And then also the HBCUs, right? So I think a lot of your predominantly white institutions, especially the ones that we're thinking of, they are often well resourced already what what's needed in those schools is that some of that funding needs to be held aside to create a better environment for people of color and that is something that i think both of these plans miss maybe the title one i was wondering i don't know this so, title one for post well no education. so what he's talking about here is like title one for post-secondary education is to help it is essentially to create a designation for institutions as a title one institution not to follow students from title one schools into higher ed oh. so you would have higher education institutions that are under resourced that you would then identify as a title one school and give them money as an institution so I think what what both of these plans are unfortunately missing is the students who are doing well uh, in high school, or at least well enough to get into some sort of maybe elite four-year institution, they get into those institutions and then they're invisible to everybody because if they were good enough to get there, then they should be good enough to get through it, even though we know that the systems in place to support them are almost non-existent in some cases or insufficient because of the level of resources and funding. And so that that's kind of a glaring um, yeah. omission to me as, a, as someone who works in yeah. higher ed. But, you know, I think that, that Biden's 
especially just because there are actual details in it, um, is a much better, a much better place to be in. So yeah, it's kind of sad where I think like, mm, I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> I'll say it and then maybe if it needs to go, I'll go. Because <laughs> I was going to say like, maybe there's an appeal, like a tactic of like having the Trump document so short and succinct, like mm-hmm. for the audience where it's like Joe Biden's people that will vote for him, like they want more detail. <laughs> and that's, I'm just like, I don't know if that's, maybe just take that out. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I think, don't know if that could be read. It, like I'm not trying to say what I think could be misinterpreted. Like yeah, but so. I what I would say is that I I would blame that on Trump for assuming that black people don't want to read anything more than two pages. Yeah, but it's like, is it black people or like his audience that would, whether black or anything else? I think his assumption is that his black audience would not want to read any more than this. I have no idea what the rest of his plans yeah. look like because I have never seen any policy plans from him because I've never looked either. But anyway, I think, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the only other thing I wanted to really chat about, and I'm not going to go through and read these, but both of them have some level of focus on creating jobs and creating wealth in the black community. Specifically, Biden and Harris's plan talks about, you know, being able to provide down payment assistance to first-time home buyers, right? It's because we we know, at least from the data that has been given to us, that home ownership is a creator and generator of wealth. And so there's talk of that. There's also talk of, of jobs being created through sustainability and environmental justice work that his campaign is pledging to do, and also jobs that would be created through an investment in this country's infrastructure. And so essentially looking at these different areas where, where work needs to be done anyway and saying, hey, this is a place where we can create some jobs. What I noticed in Trump's plan is that there's never a mention of how many jobs he would create. There's a couple of times where they say, hey, we're going to create some jobs in, in a different area, but there's never a mention of how many and then there's this like really big focus, um, uh, quite a few bullet points on fueling access to capital for black owned businesses. And so I think what we were talking about earlier really fits into this conversation. Yeah. And, and, and again, Biden also has some information on his site as well about about access to capital for black owned businesses. But there's this uh, insinuation by the Republicans that if we would just give you opportunity, you yeah. can make it yourself and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think a lot of Black folks are seeing that and seeing the opportunity being provided and honestly buying into it, right? They're yeah. really, they're, they're pardon the phrase, but really drinking that Kool-Aid of, yeah. I can get money from this, I can uh, succeed because I'm being given opportunity. And I think the sad reality is not everybody's going to be an entrepreneur. So even if you're a Black person listening to this and you're thinking, I can't believe these two idiots, they should be trying to get the money that Trump is trying <laughs> to provide, like... The reality is that, A, nobody is holding Trump accountable to any of this. Yeah. And B, even if he cuts a check for every single person to become an entrepreneur, not everybody wants to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. So what happens to the folks who are not in the entrepreneurial boat and then they are still suffering from economic hardship and there's no social programs to be able to support them? Because what is probably going to happen is that we're going to see the gutting of some of these programs in order to provide the funding to the, to other folks who do want to start businesses or, or do things like that. So I do worry about this because this platinum plan, as much as I've laughed about how offensive the name is, there are some good things in it. And I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Ice Cube helped make it. So of course, why why wouldn't it be great, right? And But there's some good things in it. There are some things in it that I politically disagree with in yeah. terms of how you would go about doing it. But if you're looking at this as a black person who maybe is undecided, I could see how you could look at this and go, this provides me with opportunity to to pull myself up by my bootstraps and make it out of poverty. Or or if you're not in poverty, then looking and saying, this is the thing that's going to provide other people with those opportunities. And especially without the the PR campaign that Ice Cube is doing like like a fool right now. Like Biden and Harris's plan doesn't have anybody walking around yeah, selling yeah. it in that same way. Yeah. So I, I do worry about that. And I feel like the sad thing is that often it, ha- it feels like it's a choice, like opportunities or addressing systemic issues where like both need to happen truthfully. For sure. Like we can be given as many opportunities as we want, but like opportunities can go, gen- can move into generational wealth, et cetera, but it also cannot 
without systemic changes. So it's like one of these things where it shouldn't be an either or, but obviously, as you stated, the Republicans are focusing more on like opportunities that an individual can get. And so I can see, as you said, the appeal to looking at his policy and saying, hey, there's things that I can get from this personally. Um, so moving into our like final section of this maybe special election <laughs> edition of Black and Intellectualish, um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the Canadian electoral system. So one of the things that I was saying to MP is that while you know this is kind of like an American kind of podcast ish, <laughs> obviously I'm Canadian, so I feel like it's interesting for me to reflect on my experience with elections and to think about why that's like different for me as a Canadian Mm -hmm. and just like the different experiences that other countries have. So I thought I would just share a little bit of information about like how our electoral system works, even though it's problematic. So Mm -hmm. I will say that I think that it's better than the American electoral college system, which I'll explain why in a second, but it all also has its flaws. I won't try to this as a it's not the great perfect white north <laughs> so canada's electoral system is referred to as the first past the post system and so what that really means is like we have a parliamentary system mm-hmm. so interestingly enough whenever we go to the polls particularly for federal elections i personally because where i live i will never vote for justin trudeau mm-hmm. even though he's the leader and he becomes the prime minister mm-hmm. we vote for people in our particular area kind of like how you do for senators mm-hmm. or other um smaller city officials but they represent the different parties so in canada we have a multi-party system mm-hmm. um the two main parties they're it's very like literal names the liberal party the conservative <laughs> party are usually the two that have been they've always been like the federal leaders mm-hmm. uh, but we also have the ndp party which is like the new democrat party which is like a very ultra liberal party they've been mm-hmm. gaining some steam um, federally and provincially and then we also have like the green party and we have other smaller parties yeah. so there's multi-party system but anyways when you go to the polls during the federal election you vote for the person in your what we call riding so mm-hmm. your area so like i might vote for michael smith who's in the liberal party and i'm never going to vote for justin trudeau mm-hmm. so the person who wins the election is the party that has the most number of parliamentary seats. Because each writing represents a seat. Mm -hmm. So there's never been a situation where we have 200 plus seats that one party's won all of them. That's never happened. Mm -hmm. So usually what happens is in a majority government, one of the parties wins a large percentage of the seats, but still has maybe like 30% is the another party. But the way that this is helpful is... Unlike here, at least you could correct me, MP, if I'm incorrect. But if, like, somebody wins the majority of Florida, they win the whole Florida, like, all the points that Florida has. Yeah. Where in Canada, if you are in, like, my province of Ontario and you win, let's just say for numbers, there's 100 seats in Ontario and you win 50 and the other party wins 40, you only get 50 and the other party gets 40. So what happens is you have a government that has to really work together. Most people prefer what we call a minority government. So let's say in this case, Justin Trudeau, who's now the prime minister, if he was in a minority government, let's say his party won 40% of the seats, Mm -hmm. another party won 20, and another party won like 30, and another party won 10. Mm -hmm. Because his party won the most out of all, like 40%, he's the leader, but in order to pass any big bills, any to make any decisions, he has to work with those other parties to help him implement whatever. Okay. So it's very, it ends up being very collaborative. So a lot of people like minority governments, but where, what can happen negatively with a minority government is like the government can come to a standstill where like the parties don't work together and sometimes we're forced into early election. Mm-hmm. So in Canada, while we have like a four-year mandatory election time. Sometimes if you have a minority government, we can go into an election after one year Mm. because the government is a minority government. They're not able to make any deals with the other parties. So they have to go to an election in the hopes of gaining a majority government. Um, The thing that was very interesting to me was that 
here it's kind of like it doesn't really matter it, it almost feels like if you are in a state where like 55 percent is democrat and then the 45 percent is republican the 45 percent almost lose their voice i feel like in a way so, so yeah so there's there are some states and i was googling this because i remember hearing this a few years ago and not realizing it was the case in yeah. the united states but there are some states that do split their electoral oh, college okay. points. Okay. Most don't. Okay. So I think to your point, we have a hot mess of a system. Yeah. It. I think that I'm not smart enough in political science to tell anybody what the system should be. However, I think if you count the popular vote and the person who is winning the election is not the person who won yes. the popular vote, then you have royally screwed up. Yes. And you should rethink your system. Yeah. And anybody who disagrees with that, I'm not sure what logic you're using. But if the majority of the people want something and that's not what happens, then you don't have the type of government that you think you have. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. these arbitrary points that we've assigned. And then there, there's other weird things. And I really do think that like what we really need to be thinking about in the United States is how we shift this, how we change this to make it so that our territories get to vote. Yes. To make it so that DC is a state. Yeah, yeah. To make it so that we elect who wins the popular vote. The challenge is that Republicans are always going to fight that tooth and nail because who are the people we're talking about being left out? The the vast majority of the people in DC are people of color. Yeah. Puerto Rico, yes. people of color. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? The US Virgin Islands, yeah, yeah. people of color. Yeah. And so you are adding to the base of the Democrats yeah. currently. As, uh, again, I know that there are some black Republicans and there are, there are other people of color who are Republicans, but they are the mi super minority yeah. in the Republican Party. And so the challenge becomes the Republicans n would never want that to happen because you are adding the voices of people who would either A, band together to drastically change the political landscape yeah. or be just ensure that Democrats always win. Yeah. So. And the last thing I'll add about the Canadian election system is usually when you have a federal election, we're only vote. We're only voting for that part of the election. Like you're only voting for the prime minister. Mm -hmm. When I've seen ballots here, I'm like, what the heck? Like if you <laughs> are Canadian or you've never voted in America, Google a ballot. They vote for so many things at the same time. Yeah. It is so confusing. Like, apparently you can take notes in, I think, or something like that. Like, I, I don't know. I, so I would let me say this. If you are voting this year, and I can encourage everybody to vote. If you can early vote, yeah. do that. But if you have a mail-in ballot. It's already due, right? You can, drop your, you can drop your mail-in ballot um, off at certain locations oh, or whatever. Okay, okay. And so I would encourage you, if you have a mail-in ballot and you've been like, man, maybe I'll go, like mail that ballot in or take it to drop it off at one of the drop-off boxes if that's available to you in your in your area. Because I enjoy so much being able to sit at home and Google search things and look up wording and understand what yeah, things meant. Because there were so many <laughs> like amendments to uh, yeah. constitutions and things that I had to really try to parse through and understand. And I even said this on Twitter. I was like, it is very hard to actually know the implications of a policy or change on a certain community. Yes. And so and then they like. At certain and they point, group weird things together, They do right? group weird things yeah. together. There was one thing I was looking at, and it was like, we're going to do this and this. <laughs> and I was trying to decide what to vote for, but then I was like, well, I have to say yes, because one of the things was that they were going to protect people with different sexual uh, orientations. And so it was like, if I had voted no, then they weren't going to protect the people yeah. of different sexual orientations. Yeah. But the other thing was something super <laughs> random that I was like, I don't know if I want that. But if We're I'm going to if I'm gonna support the LGBTQ population, I have to say yes. I'm yeah. like, why did you group these? So like, I think, yeah. you know, voting could be a lot more simple. I definitely think we need to stop grouping weird things together. I do like being able to. And I think that's what one thing Americans like is why that is crazy to have like these long ballots, two pages, yes. all these wording. I think Americans actually like that level of control. We like oh. to be able to say, I voiced my opinion on this and it didn't okay. happen. And I, I have found some level of like, I don't know, you almost feel a little bit more okay, even if something doesn't go your way in the vote, because you're like, I had a say in that. And I think that that's what, even in a representative democracy, there's just certain things that the people want to be able to speak to. Although if it's a popular vote, you may not your president that you selected may not win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I will say this. If if we do that again this year and somehow Biden wins the popular vote and loses the electoral vote, 
I think there will be riots in the street. I mean, either way, I think. And oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but I was more so speaking to the to the riots in the street that I will be a part of. <laughs> I'll be right out there with a sign, um, and the sign might be on fire depending on. Uh, anyway, so I think that's episode fourteen. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate y'all listening and putting up with some of our foolishness. Hopefully, this was at least somewhat informative to you Definitely. as you get ready to head into the polls. We're not done talking about the election. Unfortunately, there's a there's a little bit of time left to go. So I think we got like one episode before the election. Crazy. We won't know anything when we when we record and launch that one. And then we'll have one shortly after the election. We might have to do a special one depending on what happens in the state of America uh, yes. at the time. So we just wish you all well. Please stay safe. We yes. encourage you to engage with us on social media. We are on Instagram at Black Intellectualish. And we are on Twitter at Black Intel Pod. We're going to start posting more very soon. So we encourage you to follow us so that you don't miss anything. And if you do reviews on podcasts, definitely go to Apple and, and give us a review. Yes. But thank y'all so much for listening. Peace. Bye.